Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This is episode number four, and I'm Andrew Copian, your host. This podcast focuses on helping Canadian physiotherapists in their clinical practice and careers. And if you haven't heard of Ignite Physio before, it's a free community-driven website for physiotherapists where you can ask and answer practice questions, find useful articles, and access a data bank of reviewed clinical resources. In today's episode, I interviewed Jessica DeMars, a physiotherapist from Calgary. We had a great chat about her work in breathing disorders, and she shares how breathing was really the missing link in the treatment of her MSK patients. Jessica shares a lot of great clinical nuggets, and I'm sure you'll love this episode. So let's jump right in. I'd like to introduce you to Jessica DeMars. She's a physiotherapist practicing in Calgary, and since 2013, she's been treating at the Calgary Winter Club and also runs Breathe Naturally, her own physiotherapy practice that focuses on breathing pattern disorders. Uh, Jessica graduated from the University of Alberta's PT program back in 1998, and she also has just completed her Master of Science in Applied Breathing Science from the Graduate School of Applied Behavioral Science. That's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, really excited to learn a little bit more about what she's uh, learned from that experience. Uh, She's also the recipient uh, of the 2015 Clinical Innovation Research Grant that was awarded by Physiotherapy Alberta, and it's uh, really where she's uh, digging into uh, evaluating and understanding the role of dysfunctional breathing in pediatric asthma patients and how physiotherapy can play a role in that. Uh, Jessica also recently presented at one of her uh, meetups here in Calgary and she gave an intro talk regarding breathing disorders and some of the ways to assess and treat um, patients with uh, with breathing challenges. So Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so it's great to have you on on uh, on the show here, and um, I I know that there was a lot of interest um, at the meetup in Calgary, and really I think people are are keen to better understand how breathing uh, plays a role uh, in MSK and and other uh, conditions. And before we jump into some of these questions about uh, breathing dysfunction and all of that good stuff, um, I'd love to a little bit love to know a little bit more about how you got here, and so. I, uh, I know that when I was taking a look at your website um, that you had mentioned that in the uh, 2006 Orthopedic Symposium in Calgary that you discovered the missing link in your treatment. And, and I'd love for you to, to share a little bit more about what that, uh, what that looked like for you. Um, sure, yeah. Um, Laurie McLaughlin, who's a physiotherapist, a manual physiotherapist um, out eastern Ontario, um, she was up there speaking and... Um, I don't know what it was, but as she, she was talking about um, breathing and the impact of breathing badly, basically, on her clientele and some of the work that she'd been doing. And um, as I was up there, I thought, huh, this is, there was a few patients that were kind of going through my mind of people that I was just kind of stuck with. Like, I wasn't getting anywhere with them. We had done, you know, everything under the sun and why weren't we really getting anywhere and the basis of her talk was you know when you get to the point where you've done all the manual therapy and you've done all the exercise you've done all these things and there still seem to be plateauing she was finding that when she looked at their breathing and more specifically she was working um, with uh, end tidal carbon dioxide levels so she was looking at that um, that this this was going on in these patients. And once she restored that, then they were getting better. And so to me, I was like, oh, maybe this is what's going on with these handful of patients. And so I talked to her, I ended up talking to her during the conference and having a look, they had, um, they had some equipment out and, uh, really like a month later I went and I, I found she was giving a course in Seattle. So I went and took a course and yeah, that just kind of, uh, 
was the start of it all. Hmm. And so what, uh, how did that change your practice? Like what kind of things did you start incorporating into your practice that, uh, after that course? Well, I think like, I think back to that and I, I, just kind of dabbled here and there. I really just having the one course under me, I didn't really feel like I was really that knowledgeable about it. And so I just kind of kept at it, looking for information, researching things on the internet, getting books. I, I ended up finding books related to and, you know, I'd integrate it into, into my orthopedic uh, clientele. And then as I got better at it, I was like, you know what, this is a whole, it's a whole entity in and of itself. And, and as I looked into it more and I saw that there's, this is kind of a big deal in the UK and in Australia and New Zealand where physios are almost solely addressing breathing pattern disorders or dysfunctional breathing. And I thought, yeah, you know what? I, I, I really get this. I like this. And um, I guess really things started to change probably about four or five years ago where I went, yeah, I'm, I really want to focus solely on this. And so that's where I'm kind of moving into. Yeah, and I noticed on, on your site, too, that you have this Bradcliffe Method certification. And to be honest, I've never heard of this. And I was curious as to what does that, what does that even Yeah, so <laughs> you probably haven't heard of it because I'm the only one in Canada that's certified. Because oh, okay. <laughs> I'm the only one that's taken the big journey over to New Zealand. So this is, uh, this the Bradcliffe Method was, um, I guess, developed by... Uh, Dinah Bradley and Tanya Clifton-Smith, and they are, um, they own a clinic, actually they've just recently sold it, but they, they owned a clinic in, in Auckland that was called Breathing Works, and it was solely dedicated to treating breathing pattern disorders. So um, they had worked, they both had quite a bit of experience in, in cardiac respiratory type settings where um, breathing pattern disorders are, you know, pretty rampant and um but they were also seeing this um kind of in the general population in athletes in people who are dealing with anxiety um asthma is quite big down in in new zealand um higher than alberta actually so um this is where it kind of fit in and so they developed this method based on the treatments that they were doing um essentially which is it's it's to me, when I look at it, and I've, there's research behind another method called the Pap, Papworth method um, out of the UK, and it's very similar to that. So it's all about restoring uh, nasal breathing, diaphragmatic breathing, slowing rate back down, and, and, and kind of really just restoring calm um, and relaxation in, in the body. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and so this, this provides both an assessment and uh, treatment uh, toolkit then to address breathing disorders exactly okay. exactly and then and how to progress it into everyday life I mean it's, it kind of starts with okay here here's how you're breathing badly mm -hmm. you know to paraphrase and here's what you need to do and, and you start it with a progressive level right they need to learn how to do it lying down sitting but that doesn't mean that when they walk out of the clinic that it's fully integrated just as with any exercise program that we would give a person it has to be progressed along and so um, there's a kind of a specific progression looking at coordinating breathing and speech, breathing and activity, uh, sleep, relaxation, all of those kinds of things uh, have to be kind of coordinated. So, so yeah. really looking at that functional integration exactly. at various levels. Okay. So exactly. you're working in uh, Calgary right now, uh, part-time at the Winter Club, and I'm just curious as to what kind of patients you're seeing um, in practice right now. 
Yeah, well, I, I actually have, I work at a couple of locations. I'm at okay. the Winter Club and the Running Injury Clinic, and I'm, I've just recently started to work with a group called Peak Pulmonary. So um, because of connections that I've made, the past uh, couple of years have really turned into a little bit more of a respiratory um, focus. So I see a lot of asthma. Um, some COPD, I've recently been getting referrals for some very complex patients, a double lung transplant, uh, scleroderma with pulmonary hypertension. So it's really neat because I'm seeing all these respirologists are going, you know what, there's something else going on here. Yes, you have this, but the way you're breathing is not helping. And so it's really cool they're starting to recognize that, partly because I've been educating them on it. But um, so that's that's kind of a large part of my my clientele, which is kind of neat because I'm taking what's traditionally you know, respiratory therapy, physiotherapy is typically, you know, you're, you're thinking in a hospital setting and I'm taking it outside and it's in a community setting and, and not only that, but it's a private practice setting. So um, I'm, a lot, I'm able to address problems for some people that are, have quite a few complications, but those that aren't really super sick, right? I, I think right now in our healthcare system, if you're super sick, you're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And if you're really complex, then you get some community rehab. But if you fall in the middle, um, in terms of respiratory disease, there's nothing out there for yeah, you. That's a good point. There's no yeah. programs. There's no nothing. So I'm kind of trying to fill that void. Um, I have also been seeing, actually, since the since I spoke at Ignite, uh, the Ignite meetup, um, I've had a few pelvic floor physios referring their patients to me. Hmm. Um, so I'm working with them to restore breathing patterns simply from looking at that whole core canister perspective and how the diaphragm influences the pelvic floor function. And they felt, you know, that they couldn't really address the breathing part of it. So I, I'll see them and try to get the upper part of the canister working so that they can get the lower part working and um, get them get them functioning. And then, so at the running injury clinic, my focus there is again, more on a kind of core stability, sometimes performance based, um, aspect. So it's kind of, it, it runs, uh, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a gamut. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, cause I'm sure that with the asthma, you're probably seeing uh, quite a few adolescent, uh, uh mm-hmm. patients and moving right up through the, the age spectrum, right. In terms yes. of COPD and and all of that. Well, that's great. Yeah. Um, and so where um, where do you see yourself uh, going in terms of the next uh, few years in terms of patient population? Well, I think it'll probably just increase in, in what I've talked about there. I mean, I could, one of the, one of the, um, one of my colleagues, friends, who's a physiotherapist in Auckland, um, she's developed her own role within uh, mental health and she addresses breathing pattern disorders in adolescence in mental health. So, I mean, I could go anywhere with this, but I think the course that I'm on right now, I'm I'm really liking the respiratory component of it because it makes a big difference for these people. Um, These types of people are really, they're at the end of their rope. They're thinking, I'm short of breath. The doctors are going, yes, I get it but you shouldn't be this short of breath, or maybe you don't have asthma. I don't know why you're short of breath. So these are the people <clears throat> that it's, it's quite, um, it's, there's a lot of job satisfaction out of it, um, in addressing them. And I really am also enjoying the core stability component of it and, and really, you know, working with the pelvic health physios or with athletes and, and trying to get, like you said, the, that functional integration of breathing and movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Well, that's great. Um, yeah, no, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunities there, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about what your what you see um, as the potential role that physiotherapists can be playing in breathing disorders, because uh, um, obviously it sounds like you're one of the few that are actually taking an active role of this in a community uh, environment. Um, and so, I'm just curious, what what other opportunities do you see? You know, if, if uh, therapists are interested in this area. Um. In terms of learning opportunities, there's 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 a few. I've seen a few courses around um, for breathing uh, retraining education. I'm hoping to bring Bradcliffe method to Canada. I'm working on it right now. There's that's kind of in the works. Mm-hmm. It's a long ways for New Zealand yeah. to come. <laughs> it is, <laughs> but hopefully we're going to get it up here. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a lot of ways you can do it. Um, just integrating it into, if you're in orthopedic practice, integrating it into um, seeing your patients, right? Maybe it's that, oh, boy, this patient isn't getting better. Why? Um, if you're doing any kind of core um, stabilization or, or whatever the, the catchphrase is nowadays, if you're doing any of that with your patients, you have to, have to, have to be addressing breathing. Mm-hmm. As if they are not diaphragmatic breathing, then you don't have the top of the canister. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's... It, it, it's not a really super complex topic if you're if you're integrating just those kinds of components, or it can be very complex and and you you go the full thing. Like with my master's um, degree is is very psychologically and behaviorally based. Mm. So yeah, um, I I think we are best we are the best uh, health professionals for this role because mm-hmm. we have the time to spend with patients. We have the uh, anat- anatomical and physiological background to understand dysfunctional breathing. Mm-hmm. And I think the place that we're maybe missing a little bit is the psychological component, but I think that we're all starting to recognize that we need to play a bigger role in, in psychosocial issues and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how it affects our treatments and how we can affect positively on patients. Well, that's, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there's been that increasing um, understanding of that biopsychosocial model. And I think sometimes the challenge is how do you integrate that into practice mm-hmm. uh, effectively, you know, when we tend to be so biologically focused for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know what? There's a lot to be said for taking a, an entire treatment time and dealing with the the psychosocial aspect of it, right? Because that may be the block and the barrier to to rehab progressing, the way you want it to. Um, and I think people need it in today's day of stress and anxiety and go, go, go. We've lost touch with how to relax. People will say, yeah, I relax because I sit down and I watch TV. Well, yeah, but are you really like truly experiencing physiological relaxation? Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Well, I'd love to uh, dive in right now in terms of uh, the whole topic of chronic overbreathing. And I know that in your talk, um, which by the way, you can access the, the videos from the talk on the Ignite Physio website. Um, but I know you talked about uh, chronic overbreathing and how this is really quite a common situation that you've seen in practice. And I'm really interested if you can just uh, let people know a little bit about what, what uh, you mean by chronic overbreathing. Um, and uh, we can start, start there. Sure. Sure. So basically with people that are chronically over-breathing, it means that they are breathing too much for their body's metabolic requirements. So they may be breathing rapidly or shallowly or even too deeply. Whatever it is, they're moving too much air for what their bodies need. And the end result is most often that you're going to get a, a, a drop in the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood. So it's hypocapnia. So um, 
And the result of that is um, in an acute situation, you get a change in the pH levels because CO2 is uh, an acid. And then over time, if you continue with that, then you get a compensation for it, which puts you into the chronic overbreathing pattern. So your pH levels normal normalize, but your body has basically accepted um, this lower CO2 level. And um, the, the reason it's most common for me is probably my respiratory disease patients, right? If you have any kind of issues with your breathing and feel like you can't breathe, what do you do? You breathe more, yeah. right? So they, they just kind of fall into that pattern. Um, some of the others that I see is usually people that are have, have anxiety going on mm. at the same time. So that's kind of a big one because you're really not going to have a nice, slow, relaxed breathing pattern if you're feeling anxious. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are kind of the two main. And then it's, I mean, for me, because I'm getting referrals specifically for people with concerns about their breathing or physios think their breathing is off, it's that's why it's the most common for me. Okay. Um, that's what's coming through the door. <laughs> yeah. And would you say that like in a typical MSK situation or clinic setting, would you say that chronic overbreathing would would be the most common breathing issue or would you say it's more the acute overbreathing? I would say you know what I would say that like chronic overbreathing is really just one kind of subcategory of dysfunctional breathing patterns. So I would say your typical MSK patient may not you may not see physiological changes like you would with the hypocapnia, but what you may see is the dysfunctional movement pattern according to breathing. So I would say that the majority of your MSK patients take a closer look at their breathing and you're probably going to find that they have increased accessory muscle use, decreased diaphragmatic use so that you're seeing that they don't have as good of kind of that abdominal compartment expansion when they breathe in. Um, And I think a lot of that is related to posture these days. We're all stuck in front of computers or sitting in our car or things like that where um, those types of postures tend to favor dysfunctional breathing patterns. And so what would you use then uh, to assess that in, I mean, I'm just thinking like your, I mean, your typical MSK patient, you know, uh, what are you, yeah, what are you doing if you say, well, you know what, I think there might be a breathing component here. Um, what, what do you typically uh, use, as, you know, obviously observation is important from a posture standpoint, but yeah. where does that? I think, I think that, uh, you know, that we're really good at, at observing mm-hmm. and observing where um, movement is, is efficient and where it's not efficient. And I think if we just take a little bit of time and look at breathing in various postures and see what's going on, is there a lot of upper chest movement? Is there breath holding as they change from position to position? Um, you know, for the, for the practicing clinician out there is just, you know, do you see that the accessory muscles are being used a lot? Get them to breathe just normally, get them to breathe deeply. How does that change? Um, there are a few s- sort of pseudo screening tools out there. One that I mentioned in the talk, which was that Nijmegen um, questionnaire, which screens for hyperventilation syndrome. So that's an easy one to, d- to give to your patient. They can fill that out. And basically what that does for you is it gives you, hmm, maybe we need to examine this a little bit further, right? You've checked these symptoms here that indicate there could be a problem with your breathing. So maybe we need to look at that. Another one that I've been using, um, it hasn't been validated um, 
yet, to my knowledge, but it was developed by an osteopath in Australia who has done a lot of research into dysfunctional breathing. And she's done a lot of work with kind of one of the gurus behind dysfunctional breathing. So her name's Rosalba Courtney, and she worked with um, uh, Jan Van Dixhorn. And Jan Van Dixhorn, I think, is the one that developed the Nijmegen or has done a lot of studies on it. But she developed one called the Self-Evaluation of Breathing Questionnaire. And it's not super easy to find, although if you do email her, she'll she'll give it to you. She's quite happy to. Um, uh, and so that, again, it's the same kind of thing. It gives you these lists of symptoms that you can check off as to how frequently they occur. And it kind of starts to paint this picture of, oh, yes, this, this, is, an, this is an issue for you. Um, so that, those are kind of two easy tools that people have at hand. Um, and then the other one that I use is the Capno Trainer. And I, I know there's a lot um, a lot of those devices kind of floating around out there. A lot of physios had, had uh, have gotten into it and but maybe stuck, not sure what they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that can give you, an, you know, that can kind of, it gives you that, ah, yes, I was right. This mm. is going on. Mm. And where did you uh, get training to use the Capno Trainer then? That was from that first course that I took with Lori McLaughlin. Okay. So she runs a course called Breathing Evaluation and Management. Okay. And that's where I picked that up. And then my master's degree is kind of based on um, the biofeedback learning uh, that you get through the, the Capno Trainer. Yeah, because I can imagine that with uh, patients that are having dysfunctional breathing that the biofeedback uh, component is huge because I mean, it's one thing to for them to say, oh, yeah, my breathing is pretty dysfunctional here in the clinic while I'm with you know, with the therapist, but, you know, when obviously there's a lot of training that they need, be, need to be doing at home or in different uh, functional uh, positions. Mm-hmm. And so what are you using for that? Because I think that's, that's a big thing. Well, there's, I, the, you, there's the option you can, uh, you can like rent out a Capno trainer. People can take it home. Um, I'm, I don't run that way for a couple of reasons. One, it's really expensive to have that mm-hmm. <laughs> a yeah. number of Capno trainers to rent. Um, two, I think that what I've found with the biofeedback is sometimes people get stuck with it and they're so focused on the screen and then they've lost that inner sensations. So what I tend to do with people is I work with them with the biofeedback in the clinic, see how that feels. Like, how does that feel? Do you see how you're doing that? And you can go back and forth between good breathing and bad breathing so that they can really tell. And then they're to go home and, and practice the, the good breathing and so there's there's all sorts of different tips and tools and exercises just as we would cue somebody somebody else to uh you know get vmo going in a you know what are we going to do there's a there's a number of different things right and it just depends on what kind of sticks for that person and sometimes it's a bit of a trial and error you say okay i want you to go home and practice this exercise and come back and they come back and you go whoa you weren't even close to what we were wanting you to do, right? And so it's just kind of trying to find the cues that worked for them. It's trying to find, we're going to get all behavioral here, but their motivation for the way that they have been breathing. Is it because when I get them, you know, somebody who's really been chest breathing and moving big volumes of air, once I get them to a smaller volume of air, is it because that they're really scared that they're not going to be able to breathe again? Um, you know, my, my lung transplant patient, that was her big thing. I said, you, you know, she was just really working at her breathing. And as I asked her to breathe a little bit smaller, she said, but I feel like my lungs are going to collapse. And that was a very real fear for her. Hmm. And 
so for her to be able to say that, then I can address it for her so that she doesn't have to have that fear. But if she, you know, if I hadn't asked her the right questions Mm -hmm. and she never told me that she would just continue to battle what I was asking her to do. Yeah. And that belief is obviously driving that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the diaphragm because obviously you've touched on that a little bit uh, earlier in the conversation. Uh, you know, huge component to healthy breathing, as you mentioned, in terms of the the, the upper canister and that. How? Um, what do you do to uh, assess the diaphragm, and then and what are you doing from a treatment standpoint um, to help with uh, better diaphragmatic uh, breathing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, again, comes back to the your, our powers of observation. So, watching your patient, and a really quick and easy test for diaphragm function is called the sniff test. And they actually, this is what they do under fluoroscopy um, to assess diaphragm paralysis. But you can do it without that and get a sense of how how the diaphragm is working. Is you just put one hand on your patient's chest and one hand on their belly, just between their diaphragm and sternum, or sorry, belly button and sternum. And just have them do a quick sniff in, right? Just like that. And what you're wanting to see is that that hand on the belly comes up if they're lying on their back, right? If you're seeing it go in and that chest rise, then you know that they're not, that you've got almost a paradoxical movement pattern there. Um, other ways that I'll, t- I'll test it is I have another piece of equipment um, that allows me to test kind of respiratory muscle strength, and it, it allows me to do a maximum inspiratory pressure. So what happens then is people are taking this great big breath in, and, and yes, it gives me numbers at the end of the day to, you know, um, maximum inspiratory pressures are, are measured in centimeters of water. So I can get, I can get numbers and, the, you know, I can compare them to what we think that someone of that same age, height, weight, and sex would be. Um, but more importantly, when I get them to take those more forceful breaths, or if I put a little bit of a load against that inspiratory effort, I can really see what kind of a, a muscle pattern that person will um, engage in. And if you put a little bit of a load on it and suddenly they've lost any diaphragmatic excursion, it's gone straight up into their upper chest, then it kind of gives you an idea of their diaphragm function in that anytime the going gets tough, it tends to skip out. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm. you can watch, then the other parts are, are looking at abdominal bracing and breath holding and things like that, that's actually not just, you know, rectus abdominis, but it's also um, the diaphragm. So they've taken that breath in and then they've locked that diaphragm down to create that um, that I- increase in intra-abdominal pressure to create stability, right? So watching, watching for those kind of um, strategies. Okay. And so how would you... Uh you know, differentiate, uh, you know, cause I mean, you have patients coming in that talk about how they're, you know, they're doing their yoga breathing and, you know, or they, they're doing their Pilates breathing approach. And, you know, what would you say, um, you know, just in terms of the differences between that and which would be more functional from a breathing right. strategy? So like yoga and Pilates are, they all incorporate some sort of breathing, but the, the thing to remember, and I, about those kind of breathing strategies is that at that point in time, they're an exercise. So they're to be used when you're at yoga and when you're at Pilates and they're, you know, they're used 
for a specific exercise. But that doesn't mean that when we leave the Pilates or the yoga studio that we breathe like that from then on. So it, it has its purpose um, within that context. But once you go out of there, then you're not going to be breathing like that, if that makes sense. Um, and I think a lot of people kind of confuse that. Um, certainly with, and then if you're, sorry, if you're, if you're doing that consistently, so if you're really doing a lot of yoga, or you're doing a lot of Pilates, what can happen then is that those do become your default breathing patterns because you've been doing it so much, right? So there is a little bit of danger with that. I mean, the Pilates breath tends to be, uh, like an increase in that lateral expansion and, and a little bit less of the kind of the anterior movement of the diaphragm. So you're, you really want to be thinking about that, that lower abdominal compartment as being 360 degree breathing. So all the way around, you want to see that expansion, not just that sideways one. Um, and then with yoga breathing, the trouble with that sometimes is it can get to be too big. So if you're, if you know, they, they talk about, you know, filling up various levels of the lungs. And I, I'm not an expert on yoga breathing, but if that's what you're doing to try to calm your nerves down, you may be doing the opposite if you're ta if you go into that over breathing pattern gotcha. okay. with it. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and so just jumping back a little bit to the, the diaphragm, diaphragm and, you know, you talked a little bit about the assessment from a treatment standpoint, are you doing any, you know, myofascial techniques to help with, uh, improving um, diaphragm and, and diaphragmatic breathing? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I wish I, I would love to take, uh, and I always have my eyes open for um, Leon Chato is an osteopath out of the UK, and he's, he's a co-author on one of my uh, favorite books. Um, and I often recommend it to other physios that are looking for more, which is the multidisciplinary approach to treating breathing disorders. Um, but... Yeah, I would love to to have a little bit more diaphragm, visceral type myofascial release stuff. For now, the biggest thing that I'm looking at is getting the the ribs and the thoracic spine moving, looking at it are the abdominals and the obliques really really tight, like what's limiting that that expansion, that diaphragm expansion. So one of the one of the other key muscles is I find is quadratus lumborum. So if that guy is really tight, um, it's really going to impact. You're, you're going to have a. It's going to be harder to breathe um, into the diaphragm. And then what's also going to happen is because you're having to fight that that tension through the the QL, is it tends to snap everything back. So we tend to get this this of of air going out on every exhale, and that's that really fast exhales, what tends to accompany over breathing. So we want to try to soften that up a bit. So a lot of the times I will do some work, um, trying to release QL, maybe some work on the abdominals and the obliques, getting the thoracic spine mobilized, and then just getting the patient into, into positions of restriction and getting them to breathe there. So they're actually using their breath as a way to mobilize that area, whether it's, you know, you're mobilizing the ribs or the myofascial um, um, connections in there, whatever it is, get them to breathe into that restriction. It's kind of been the most successful for me so far. Like, I'd like to learn a little bit about um, how, 
you know, what you're doing in terms of breathing disorders and how that can apply in the hospital environment. Because I know before we jumped on the call, you had mentioned that you had just done a, um, held a, a session at um, one of the hospitals in Calgary uh, for, for the staff around um, breathing disorders. So I was wondering what, um, you know, what's the key takeaway, if, you know, if you're a hospital PT, uh, you know, around uh, the breathing assessment and treatment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think it's a really powerful tool to use with your anxious patients. You know, you walk into the room and you see that patient know that physio is coming mm-hmm. and <laughs> they go into a little bit of a panic. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you spend the first two minutes just getting them to, you know, just calm down a little bit, focus on their breathing, get them just to breathe out a little bit, um, bring their awareness to somewhere else. Um can certainly help with uh, anxiety or some, you know, I, this, the talk that I gave had been to the acute care um, allied health staff and they were, they seemed to be seeing it as well, like with these anxious kind of hyperventilating patients. And so when you see that, give, give some attention to it, Um, get them to try to relax a little bit using their breath. Um, And then additionally, Breathing is really key to organizing the muscles of the core. So you can use that um, in movement strategies for patients. So one of the courses that I just taken was one from Mary Masary, and she says, if you can't breathe, you can't function. And it really talks about all of the strategies that we use to try to move um, when we have difficulties moving. And one of them is to sneak into kind of using our our breathing and vocal folds actually is closing that glottis off and you can use that to your advantage to help patients help you move them essentially so that they can get more moving uh, moving easier so it's it's really a fascinating topic and and I, I'm not going to reteach her course right here but uh, it's for anyone in the hospital I, I'd, and I'd really recommend it because it's a really it, it really, once you start diving into breathing and postural stability, it is really fascinating. And uh, the the research that's coming out of it is is really quite cool. Hmm, that's neat. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's uh, it's good to have, you know, those uh, those tools in your toolbox, uh, which I know is often a cliche term that we use in physio, but I think that, um, you know, especially in the hospital environment where sometimes you have patients that, you know, they're dealing with a lot of um a lot of hurdles um, from a movement standpoint. And so I think if we can use and empower people with their breathing to actually have better core stability, I think that could really make a big difference. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, yeah, well, uh, that's awesome. So Jessica, I want to thank you for, for joining me on the podcast here today. I think this has been really, uh, really um, informative and it's really neat to see how you've uh, taken your physiotherapy career in, in terms of the direction of uh, uh, breathing disorder management and and really coming up with some innovative ways of um, you know working in the community to help uh, uh, fill a fill a need here that uh, that's uh, taking place so thanks again for for joining me here well thanks for inviting me it's a topic I love to talk about so <laughs> can go on and on about it <laughs> that's awesome well I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jessica To find the show notes for this episode, just head over to the Ignite Physio website at ignitephysio.ca forward slash blog, and you'll find the episode in our blog feed. You can also search for podcasts using our filtering system on the left-hand side of the page. In the show notes, I've put a link to the Nijmegen screening tool, as well as a link to the meetup videos from Jessica. Plus, we also put a link to the Breathing Disorders book that she recommended in this episode. 
And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And if you do like the show, I'd love for you to leave a, a review on iTunes as well. If you have any questions, topic ideas, or would be interested in being a part of the show, let me know by dropping me a line at hello at ignitephysio.ca. Have a great day and see you next time.